Why did King David's advisor Ahithophel kill himself? What does his suicide teach us about a root of bitterness? How does Ahithophel connect to the night Jesus died? And wait, who is this guy Ahithophel anyway? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a newbie Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. When I first got into ministry, some of the first messages that I ever delivered were called Worth Dying For. And for that, I just basically studied the various reasons that some people would die in Scripture. I was trying to figure out not just how they died, but why they died. If they died in service to some great cause. And people in the Bible died for a variety of reasons, some good and some bad. And I would discuss those and I would talk about whether their sacrifices were worth it, worth dying for. Now, some people died for really terrible and stupid reasons like Gideon's son in Judges 9. He died because of his own pride. And then there's people who died for worthy causes, like John the Baptist. He said a lot of things that made people mad. But what got him killed was that he defended the sanctity of marriage. Many Christians today will question whether marriage issues are hills worth dying on in our modern culture. To that, I would say, look at John the Baptist. And that brings me to a minor but interesting character in the book of 2 Samuel, named Ahithophel. This man was an advisor to King David, and we read about him primarily in the story of Absalom's rebellion. I'm going to assume today that you're familiar with the essentials of Absalom's story, that this is one of David's sons who turns on him and tries to announce himself as the new king, overthrowing his father, and Absalom eventually ends up getting killed in battle when he got he gets his hair caught in a tree. And Ahithophel is one of the minor characters who plays a role in that whole story. You've probably never heard of Ahithophel before. He's only in a few chapters of the Bible. He doesn't leave a significant impact. And as you can see from the title of today's show, he ends up killing himself. Ahithophel is one of the seven suicides in the Bible. Now, he's talked about as a wise and intelligent figure, but his death seems a little sudden and irrational. Why did Ahithophel decide to do this to himself? The answer is going to involve piecing together the mystery of Ahithophel's family, And like everything else we study on this podcast, his story will also bring up a neat connection with Jesus Christ himself, a connection that actually ties in with the night Jesus died. But first, let's talk about who Ahithophel is and why he died. Let's start with some of the verses that set the stage for today's story. Absalom was one of David's sons, like we mentioned, and David had some very bad parenting. If he had lived in modern times, he probably would have given his kids phones at age 10. They'd be TikTok stars at age 12. There would be a reality TV show about them that got more viewers than the Kardashians. And in case I'm not being clear, those would all be bad things, okay? And David's kids were really just entitled rich brats who did some truly awful and selfish things. And the worst part is, David just kind of let them do what they want without much punishment. 
And all this culminates in the rebellion of Absalom. And this isn't one of your typical teenage rebellion stories where he grows his hair out and starts hanging out with the bad crowd. Well, actually, no, that is exactly what Absalom does. But it went even further than that. Absalom decided to literally try to overthrow and probably was trying to kill his father and install himself as the new king. So we'll start in 2 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 6, and just look at the, the, the some of the early parts of Absalom's rebellion story. It says, After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. And then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So it said that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Absalom just manipulates the Israelites into following him. It says that when they would come to David to get a matter solved, Absalom would just shake his head and he'd say, oh, the king doesn't care about your problems. It's too bad I'm not king. Then I'd make sure you were taken care of. I'll fix the gas prices if you vote for me and I'd shut down your viruses if you vote for me and all your wildest dreams will come true. You know, typical politician making empty promises. Well, Absalom knew how to play the game. Then it says in verse 12, And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. We are now introduced to Ahithophel, who is one of the advisors to King David. At this point in the story, Absalom is getting more and more people to follow him, and he starts going after some of the bigwigs. He wants to get some of the more, like, upper-class influencers to back his play. So he's going after one of David's closest advisors here, and in a move that's going to be a shock to many, Ahithophel signs on with Team Absalom. And this was a big get. This was one of David's inner circle now turning on David. It's a big endorsement for Absalom. As Absalom gets more and more people to join his rebellion, word of all this starts to get back to David. And David is told, you'd better get out of Jerusalem because any minute now, Absalom is probably going to send a death squad after you. And, and it's from there that the story of Absalom's rebellion really slows down. A majority of it is just spent on David trying to get out of Jerusalem alive. And along the way, as he's trying to get out of Jerusalem, he, he learns which people are going to be loyal to him and which people are going to turn on him. And it's primarily just a few chapters of conversations about who's going to be loyal to David and who won't. And then there's a brief battle in chapter 18 where Absalom is killed and the rebellion's ended. So to back up a bit, toward the end of chapter 15, David finds out that Ahithophel has turned on him. Now, like I said, this was one of the high up reputable leaders in Israel. It was significant that this man would turn on David. I mean, he was an advisor to the king. And not only that, his advice was considered top notch. Ahithophel was an extremely wise advisor with his finger on the pulse of society. You couldn't get better advice on what to do than by asking Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was now on Team Absalom. So we're going to pick up at verse 30, and we're going to meet another character here. And this is our last new character for today. 
I'm, I'm trying to keep this as simple as I can um, because there's so many characters really in this whole story of David getting out of Jerusalem. But there's just one person who's really important to today's story. His name is Hushai the Archite. Hushai is a longtime family friend of David's, and he declares that he's loyal to David, but that he's going to stay in Jerusalem and spy on what Absalom's next move is, and he's going to try to help David that way. So 2 Samuel 15, starting at verse 30, it says, But David went up on the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered, and all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant, then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. So Hushai pledges to be a spy and a saboteur regarding Absalom and Ahithophel. Hushai knows that if Ahithophel is aiding Absalom, that this is really bad news for David. If you have Ahithophel giving you advice, you have a pretty good shot at overthrowing the king. So Hushai says that he will go and volunteer to be another advisor to Absalom, and that hopefully Absalom will listen to Hushai's advice instead of Ahithophel's. Now, it's a long shot, but it's David's best hope. And so will this work out? Okay, we're going to read what happened when Absalom goes to these two men for advice. So first, Hushai shows up. Now remember, Hushai is a double agent, and Absalom is going to question Hushai. This is in 2 Samuel 16, verses 15 through 19. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? Meaning David. And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. So Absalom is a little suspicious of Hushai here. He's, he's kind of wondering, why did Hushai not go with my dad, David? But he's going to let Hushai stay. And Hushai arrived just in time because Absalom is ready to start hearing advice about what to do next. So it continues in verse 20. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. So, Ahithophel's advice is to establish himself as David's successor by sleeping with David's concubines. They set up a tent on top of the palace, and Absalom took one in there, and this is a power play. It's audacious, and it works. It ends up being very good advice. And I'm not commenting on the morality of Absalom's actions. I'm not even going into the morality of, of concubines today. I'm just going to say that from a strategic standpoint, 
this was considered some solid advice from Ahithophel. This made a big psychological impact on the people who witnessed this. And this went a long way in establishing Absalom as the new king in their eyes. So the Bible further notes that Ahithophel's advice was so wise that it was right up there by the Bible in terms of reliability. It was clear that Ahithophel is a great guy to have on your team. 2 Samuel 17 begins. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged, and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. So it says Ahithophel told Absalom, this is your moment. This is the time to strike. This is the moment of truth. It's time to kill David. And he said, let me take a group of guys tonight. David's panicking. His side is psychologically freaked out. If you're going to make your move, this is when you should do it. And notice that Ahithophel wants to personally lead the charge to kill David. Very soon we're going to explain why. But the Bible's trying to make something clear here, that if Absalom had listened to Ahithophel right here, he would have succeeded in this whole scheme. However, Absalom doesn't listen. The Bible continues, Then Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken, shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given us is not good. Hushai said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field? Besides, your father is an expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And I won't read everything that Hushai says, but he tells Absalom, David's not scared. His people aren't scared. They're angry. They're ready to stomp you. You need to wait a day or two and let them cool down because right now they would just be too powerful. And remember, Hushai's advice is just there to sabotage Absalom and it works. It tells us in verse 14, And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. And then the book includes this little note, just to show us here that God's in control. It says, For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. So Absalom thinks he's making his own decisions, and in a sense he is. And from Absalom's perspective, he certainly feels in charge. But verse 14 just makes this little note to show that God is also directing the situation by influencing Absalom to take Hushai's advice. And if you just listen to our previous episode um, about Russia and Ukraine, I think that was episode 17, uh, we talked about this, that God is ultimately in control of leaders and nations. Leaders who are in positions of authority, uh, and I would say this about all people, really, they're heavily influenced by spiritual forces. And God has caused Absalom to take the wrong advice here. So again, Hushai was lying and Absalom was wrong to trust him. If he had attacked David that night when David's men were weaker than ever, Absalom could have easily slaughtered them all. But Absalom believed that David and his men were angrier than ever 
And so he decided to hold off a little bit on the attack, and this ends up being his downfall. And even though Absalom can't see it, Ahithophel knows. From the moment that Absalom rejects his, adv his advice, Ahithophel knows that Absalom's rebellion is doomed. Ahithophel, because like I said, he's incredibly wise. He had amazing foresight. He had his finger on the pulse when it came to current events. He could just see how this was all going to play out and that Absalom was destined to lose. And so Ahithophel gets really upset when he hears that his advice is rejected. So it says in verse 23, When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Just going to note here that, as we just read, this was not merely an emotional overreaction, which I know feels a little weird to say that about a suicide, but even his suicide was carefully calculated. It says that he went home and put his house in order and then hung himself. And I would say, you know, of course, that suicide is never the right answer, but Ahithophel right here, basically, he just looked at the scenario that he was in, he calculated his options, and he decided that suicide was his best course of action. Now, by this point, I've reviewed pretty much all of Ahithophel's story. He was a smart advisor. He backed the wrong horse in the rebellion story of Absalom. And when he saw that David was not going to be overthrown, he killed himself. Now, perhaps he figured that he'd be executed anyway, and so there was no point to going on living. That's possible. But I believe there's a better answer that also explains why Ahithophel would turn on David in the first place. David was, as you know, the prophesied king of Israel. God had picked David as a shepherd boy. David was known as the giant slayer, the man who conquered Jerusalem and, and made it Israel's capital, the man who brought back the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines. He was a mighty warrior and strategic commander. Israel had grown richer, made strong diplomatic alliances with other peoples, and flourished under David's leadership. And he had picked Ahithophel as one of his closest advisors. David had a pretty impressive resume and would supposedly have given Ahithophel many reasons to like him. Absalom, meanwhile, is a spoiled brat. He was essentially a murderer. He had killed one of David's other sons. He was no respecter of God's law. He was igniting a civil war in the country that Ahithophel had given his life to serve. So it really begs the question, why would a smart guy like Ahithophel turn on David in the first place? And we're not explicitly told in the story from 2 Samuel 15 through 17. However, we are given some details later about Ahithophel's family later on in the book. And if we go to the end of 2 Samuel in chapter 23, it goes through all of David's mighty men. These were all of David's friends and generals and soldiers, the people who stood alongside him on the battlefield. And there's 30-something of them that were there recounted in this chapter of 2 Samuel in chapter 23. And here's what it says about one of them in verse 34. It says, Eliam the son of Ahithophel, the Gilonite. So one of David's mighty men is Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilonite. One of Ahithophel's sons was also one of David's mighty men. And who was Eliam? Well, we don't really know anything about him. But 
His name does show up in one other place in Scripture. So we're going to turn our Bibles back to 2 Samuel 11 and look at verse 3. Okay, and as you turn there, I'll just mention, this is the chapter where David has an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. And David, he had multiple wives already, supposedly some concubines, but he decides that that's not enough, and he also takes another man's wife. And this is a famous story, so, I mean, you probably already know Bathsheba was married to a guy named Uriah, and David gets her pregnant and basically has Uriah killed to cover it all up. I mean, this is like the most soap opera-ish story in the Bible. So what does this have to do with Eliam? Well, let's read it. 2 Samuel 11. I'm going to start reading at verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So Bathsheba was the daughter of Eliam, which was one of David's mighty men. And by the way, Uriah the Hittite was one of David's mighty men as well. So (laughs) it seems that all that loyalty to David, it didn't get much loyalty from him. He has an affair with this woman while all those men are away at war. And as I said, David gets Bathsheba pregnant. He tries to cover it up. He ends up getting Uriah killed. And David plays all this really close to the chest. I'm guessing Eliam was probably away at war, and he never heard about any of this stuff either. But you got to remember, there is one man back in Jerusalem who was keeping tabs on Bathsheba. That would be her grandfather, Ahithophel. Yes, if Ahithophel was the father of Eliam, then Bathsheba was Ahithophel's granddaughter. So he must have pieced together what happened. Because like we've established, Ahithophel is a really smart guy. He was working right there in the palace himself while all this stuff happened. So from the time that happened, Ahithophel must have realized what David did and how David had an innocent man killed. Ahithophel saw David at David's lowest and darkest moment. And to him, David essentially got away with it. But when you think about that, that must have eaten away at Ahithophel for years. Bathsheba and Uriah's life was going along just fine. Uriah was a good man. Bathsheba was probably happy being with him. And then David got lustful and essentially derailed her life. And I mean, she played a part in it too. But even if Ahithophel never, even if he never even knew why Uriah died, he had a lot of reason to be bitter toward David after that whole situation. (laughs) <laughs> so I kind of feel, I feel like I'm at the end of a Scooby-Doo episode and I just yanked the mask off and now I'm explaining why the bad guy did all this, okay? But to be fair, Ahithophel is not simply a bad guy. He has some really understandable motivations for why he would turn on David. I mean, he has a really good reason to be upset with David. And then when someone else came along who had a reasonable shot of dethroning David, it didn't really matter to Ahithophel that Absalom was monstrous in his own way, Ahithophel just wanted David gone. When that didn't work out, and when Ahithophel realized that Absalom was going to lose, Ahithophel had no reason to live any longer. He wasn't going to see David pay. The coup had failed. The man he had carried around this hatred for for years was going to win. And when Ahithophel realized that, it said he went home and hung himself. He wasn't having a hissy fit because his, his advice was rejected. He gave up because the revenge that he had wanted, that he was desperate for for so long, 
had failed. We'll close down in a few minutes with a quick recap and some personal application of this story. Uh, if you have a question on this topic today, leave a comment or shoot us an email, crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to take questions or recommendations on subjects that you think I should tackle in the future. The next time on this podcast, I plan to get back into our Ezekiel series with chapter five. Believe it or not, I think we'll cover that whole chapter in just one lesson. Uh, if So if you're enjoying the Ezekiel series, make sure you're here for that one. And then two episodes from now, I want to get into a current event type of study. Uh, I have a lesson planned on critical race theory versus the Bible. This is a really popular philosophy right now in America, and many churches and prominent Christian leaders are embracing the tenets of critical race theory. I find that a bit dangerous, and I will explain why on episodes 21 and 22 of this podcast. So today, just to give us an application or two from what we've learned, there is a really cool juxtaposition in this story of a prayer that David prayed early on and then how God answered it later. And I want to share I want to shine a spotlight on that for a minute because this is so awesome. If you, if you remember, at the beginning of the story, David is told that Ahithophel has joined team Absalom. And David is really distraught when he hears that news because he knows that having Ahithophel could mean his own ruin. So David prayed this prayer. He said, "Oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. You might remember that because we just read it 20 minutes ago. So David prays that Ahithophel will give bad advice to Absalom, which is a reasonable thing to pray. I mean, we'd want the same thing if we were in David's shoes, right? We'd want Absalom to be getting as much bad advice as possible. Well, God answers David's prayer by not answering David's prayer (laughs) because as we read the story, Ahithophel gives perfectly good advice. However, Absalom ends up rejecting it. I just think this is so cool because God basically still answers David's prayer, but not in the way that David prayed it. And sometimes God answers our prayers better than we would have if we had if we had absolute control over things like God does. God has greater ideas, okay? That's why when I pray, I try to be specific about what I want but I try not to be picky about how God does it. Have you ever tried to like micromanage God in our prayers? Well, I used to do that a lot. I used to tell God what I wanted, how I wanted it, and not only that, but when I wanted him to do it. But as time has gone on, I have found that God's ways truly are higher than my ways and that God's timing tends to be the best timing. So let's just remember that as we pray, we are entrusting the situation to God that God is welcome to answer that prayer however he wants. And if answering that prayer would be harmful to me in the long run, then I give God permission to reject that prayer because I trust that God knows best and I don't. And I'm convinced that whenever we get to heaven, we won't just be thanking God for the prayers he did answer, but that we'll also be thanking God for all the prayers he did not answer because we ask for something in foolishness. Uh, Remember to be humble whenever you pray, that we are trusting God with the what, with the how, and with the when. Okay, do you follow that? And that's why I'm so thankful for Hebrews 7.25. It says, consequently, he, it's talking about Jesus, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So it says there that Jesus is constantly interceding for me before the Father. 
Enter means to come between. So that means whenever I'm praying, Jesus is right there saying, you know, God, what Luke really means is blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Jesus intercedes for me before the Father on my behalf. God hears what we want, but he also knows what we need. So remember that when you pray. A second application I get out of this story regards bitterness. The bitterness in Ahithophel's life led to his death. First by his decision to betray David, followed by his suicide. He let this bitterness fester in his life for years. He couldn't let go of the fact that David had ruined his granddaughter's marriage. And in a sense, David derailed her whole life and her first husband ended up dead. Now, any of us would have been mad at David too. I mean, (laughs) I'm mad at David over the situation. This happened 3,000 years ago. (laughs) I still get mad just reading about it. So I can sympathize and understand why Ahithophel hated David. His bitterness is entirely understandable. And yet it led to Ahithophel's ruin. His betrayal shows that he didn't stay close to David because he cared about David or about his country. He stuck around because he was looking for an opportunity to overthrow David. And then the opportunity came, and it failed. And Ahithophel was too bitter to live with the failure of the rebellion. So he decided he would rather die. And again, I'm not even going to harp on judging Ahithophel the person over this. I mean, he had deeply personal reasons for what he did that are very understandable. He had a tragedy in his family. (laughs) It was Shakespearean in scope. And all I want to say about it is just let this be a reminder to you not to hold on to bitterness in your heart. Because if bitterness takes root, it can have consequences down the road that you could have never seen coming. Um, You've probably heard it said that withholding forgiveness, it's kind of like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. Well, (laughs) that was almost literally true in Ahithophel's case. I mean, his death was by rope and not poison, but I mean, in the end, it had the same effect. Ahithophel had good reason to be bitter, but that's not the point. Everyone who is bitter probably has good reason to be, but the Bible doesn't want us to hold on to it because it destroys us. Not the person you're mad at, it destroys you. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And then verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. There are seven suicides in the Bible. And all seven of those people made bad decisions that led to them dying that way. And it didn't have to be that way. Ahithophel's bitterness led him to becoming one of the seven. And the last point, the last application I want to point out today, it's about suicide. Why do people do this? Well, suicide comes when someone has no hope. They're in a dark place and they just don't see a future where they ever come out of it. Now, I know that mental issues can also be a concern leading to suicide. In fact, we could probably say that every person who makes that decision, you know, generally speaking, suffering some kind of mental illness, um, there can be several reasons that someone would do something like this. It's generally not just one thing. But what ties all of them together is a lack of hope. Someone who thinks they have no possibility of a bright future so that it'd be easier just to end it all. I just want to encourage everyone listening that when this world gets hard, remember that this world is not forever. We will spend eternity somewhere, 
So focus on a relationship with God and focus on your eternity in heaven. Suicide is a permanent solution to a problem that's usually temporary. And nobody who came out of a tough situation ever looks back 20 years later and wishes that they had made a choice to kill themselves. So if you ever get to a point where you're thinking that way in your own life, talk to someone. Find someone who loves you and tell them how you're feeling. I want you to know something. We're all on your side. We're all on team you. We're all rooting for you. And nobody wants to see you gone. That's a lie from the enemy. So find someone who cares about you and talk to them. You can get through this. Many people have. When you don't see any light, when you don't have any hope, find someone who does. All right, and I almost forgot to mention this, but did you know that Ahithophel's story also connects to the night Jesus died? And I mean, not in a direct way, but there is a connection, or as we like to call it here, a cross-reference. So let's check out some cross-references in our Bibles. David, as you know, he wrote many of the Psalms, Um, maybe most of them, I'm not sure. But there were a few that he wrote at the time of this story. It's whenever he was getting kicked out of Jerusalem and he was on, on the run for his life for those, you know, for a few days. And maybe the way he processed some of his stress and grief over the situation was by writing some poems about it. You know, I don't know. But they turned out to be divinely inspired poems because they are included within our canon of scripture. You find them in the book of Psalms and they reference Ahithophel. Um, one of them is Psalm 55. Most, most scholars agree here that he was talking about Ahithophel specifically in these verses. Psalm 55, 12, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. And then there's another one, Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Again, he doesn't mention Ahithophel by name, but most agree that there isn't really anyone else that it makes sense that he was talking about here other than Ahithophel. And how does this connect to the night Jesus died? Well, Jesus quotes this in the story where he washed the disciples' feet. He tells the disciples, Just as I have served you by washing your feet, I also want you to wash one another's feet. And then Jesus says this, John 13, 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. I just think this is more powerful when you think about what Jesus was quoting here to express how he felt about going to the cross. Judas is in the room. And Jesus is calling him out. Jesus knows exactly what Judas is going to do. And it's only a few verses later that Jesus tells Judas what you're going to do. Do it quickly. So Jesus knows what's up. He knows that this night is probably about to be unimaginably horrifying for him. So how does Jesus spend his last night before the cross? You know, most people, if they thought it was their last night on earth, they would probably party it up, right? Maybe treat themselves, doing something they enjoy. Well, Jesus spends it washing the disciples' feet. And even the feet of Judas, the man who would betray him, Jesus washes Judas' feet. I mean, have you ever stopped and thought about just how amazing that is? What that must have felt like for Jesus? Well, we actually know how Jesus felt 
because he quotes this psalm that's talking about Ahithophel. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. He quotes a psalm about being heartbroken over a betrayal. This guy that Jesus has invested in for three years is stabbing him in the back. And Jesus washes his feet anyway. Not in a smug way or to rub Judas's face in it. Jesus is expressing the heartbreak of being betrayed by someone you loved. You probably never thought twice about Ahithophel before today. Ahithophel's story matters because Jesus refers to it to discuss how he's feeling on the night he was betrayed. And I know that's a heavy place to end today, but I hope I've brought some weight to this story of a minor but surprisingly significant person in the Old Testament. Thanks for listening to the Cross References podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that Ahithophel did hang himself, but Jeffrey Epstein didn't.